This week, the obvious question is, how do I talk to my teenager? I'm Mike Trevisano, and this week, Bob Meyer asks Joe Bertalek and I, how can we keep connected with our teenage children during a period when they may not want to be so connected anymore? How can we let them stray out in independence in their own lives, but still be a safety net? All three of us have heard people say, oh yeah, when they're teenagers, you just gotta let them go and catch up later. But none of us are willing to do that. We don't wanna do that. We don't wanna lose any years with them. And we get it. We totally understand where their heads are. Joe, Bob, and I joked after recording the show that we can't think of a time in our lives when we actually became adults. To us, we're all still 20. In fact, Joe said he's still 17. So how do we stay connected? How do we not lose them? Have a listen to the show and our thoughts, but let us know what you think with a comment or two on obviousquestion.wordpress.com. Obviousquestion.wordpress.com. Let us know. Here's the show. So the question that's on my mind this week is, is about teenagers and how do I have an effective conversation with my teens or teen? Um, having four kids myself in a variety of different ages, it's, uh, it's always a struggle when they, they start getting to where they're just leaving the house all the time and it's high and by and there's seldom any conversation or when you try to engage, um, they will typically say, well, nothing, or I don't know, or, you know, there, there's this like angry tension that's there. And, uh, you know, there's the ups and downs. There's times where you could tell they're really happy. There's times you could tell they're really sad and you know, there's something going on in their life and you're such a big instrumental part of their life or you always have been for, let's say 14, 15 years. And then there's that moment where they have other interest and that interest doesn't always include you. Now I know for me, it always ebbs and flows and they come back but I still struggle with, how do I talk to my teen? So guys, there's the question for the week. Yeah, my I have instant reaction, Bob. It says, uh, boy, this story's been going on for a long time. I mean, I, I remember reading about um, ancient Rome, and uh, I don't remember who the person was, but who wrote the, the information, but it was, you know, if these darn kids don't quit driving their chariots through the roads, the streets of Rome, the way they do, and behaving the way they do, this whole place is going to go to pot. You know, it's like one of those moments where I thought, it's been going on for a long time. And, you know, as a young parent, I had some of those same issues, same of the same things you're talking about is, you know, here I have a close connection. I feel very, very close to my, my three children, you know, as they're growing up. And all of a sudden, they turn overnight, it seems like, into something different, where they don't want any part of me. They really don't want any part of my world. And what I realized at that point is, I was like that too. And I thought, well, do I go by the old, well, just let them grow up. You know, they say by the time they hit 20, 21, 22, they'll come back and be your friend again, that kind of thing. And I, I didn't buy that. I, I didn't, I didn't like the idea of that. And I thought I can't afford for me as a parent and as a friend, I wouldn't want to lose them for those years, the very important years. So, so let me think a little bit about how, how that actually occurred. Uh, but I know I, I didn't want it to be that way. So I, my focus was to say, Let's keep it like it was and let them grow up. Let them be teenagers and do the things that, that I did and you know, my friends did back in you know, years and years ago. But the thing that, that makes it the most difficult for me, you, you guys know, you know my son, he's, he's not quite a teenager yet, but I can feel it. I can feel it coming. And the thing that I find the scariest about it is I know those years are the years where uh, – it's going to be the most difficult for him so far, you know, luckily, right? I live in a world where his, his reality, the Western, <clears throat> excuse me, 
the the American reality is that's that's the toughest part of a kid's life, right? And and it's the it's the time when I want to be able to talk to him the most. I want to hear what's going on. And so, boy, what a what a shitty time for the communication to start to break down. You know, and that scares me. Going into it already, it scares me. You know, I I'm luckily still in this position where I feel like I have a really good open channel with him, and uh, we talk a lot. At the same point, I can feel it happening where, you know, this author- authoritarian dictator, you know, leadership style that I've gotten to enjoy for the past, you know, 10 plus 11 years, right, is is rightfully so giving way to like him being free and having his own free thoughts and wanting to do his own stuff. And, and, and my job, if I'm being a good parent, is to like help that. You know, help that along so that he has the the best, most free existence that he can, and that means I have to give up something to make that happen. And I, I, I don't like the thought of it. <laughs> I don't like the thought of it, and I'm going to do it. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the struggle, or I think the hard part for me it's that letting go that you're, you know, let's say engaged or a large part of your kid's life, and then you know they get other friends, or let's say whether it's a boy or girl, they start dating or they start driving. Uh, they have other interests, but I like what you said earlier, Joe, about you know remembering what it was like when you were a kid. Um, didn't have a great relationship with my dad personally, but I always had a great relationship with my mom. But I can remember when I had other interests. We didn't talk as much, but we always had you know those like long evening kind of philosophical kind of conversations, and they lasted you know through our entire relationship. So nothing. Nothing changed. You're right. I, I walked away a little bit, but then, you know, let's say after college, we, we still had those conversations. We still had phone conversations. So a lot of it is, is trust. But, I, but thinking about what's happening at that point from the child's perspective or when I can remember being a kid, I never really thought about it from my parents' perspective. Like, oh, maybe I should, you know, go talk to my mom a little bit more. I haven't talked to her in a week. It was more like, no, where, where's that phone number for that girl? I need to call her or I need to meet her this weekend or I need to go out with my friends tonight and what are we going to do? And um, That never really dawned on me, you know, like to think about their interest. And, and maybe that's the part that's cool about being a kid is you never really think about your parents like like I don't think that I thought about my parents until I had my own kids um and and the other part that rolled through my mind when when we were talking about this or or Mike and you doing your opening thoughts on the question was is part of it there's there's a secret and what I mean by that like you're a kid right you're going through things you got thoughts and stuff in your head right things that you never thought of doing before and and maybe I'm stepping into a dark zone here, but for a minute, bear with me. But, um, you know, there, there's all these things that are happening. Your body's changing, all these things. You're, you're thinking about girls or boys or, or whatever that might be, or cars. And um, you don't want your parents to know these things. You don't have these conversations with your parents. You have them with your, your good friends. Like, you're talking about stuff. And, and today, you're, you're, you're text messaging or you're Facebooking or you're doing whatever that your parents don't know about. So there's a little bit of a rub there. There's a little bit of a, a secret world that's going on. Your parents aren't part of that until you realize that they're no different than you are <laughs> and they know what you're up to. So I just, I just kind of throw that out there as like a little bit of a curveball. Yeah, I think you're right, Bob. And I think, I think the word that pops in my head is, you know, at that time I didn't think my parents were cool. Mm-hmm. And my friends were cool, and they they did things and thought like I did, and and we you know we had the same interests or the same likes when it came to something as simple as music, you know. Whereas your parents, you, you like that other music for 
just for the fun of it growing up. But then you come to a point where back in you know in my day, the, the Beatles and Beach Boys and all those other groups were, you know, coming on. And that was a whole different sound. And, and the more my parents disliked it, the more I liked it, it seemed like, or the more my friends liked it. I'm thinking, so who's, who's right and who's wrong? Or is there a right and wrong here? Is there some way to make it better? And I'll tell you a quick story. My, you know, I had two sons and, a, and then a daughter. And as a, as a guy growing up, I could more relate to the things they did. And the things that I would do with them were kind of consistent from when they were little to when, you know, when they got to be teenagers and stuff. Like, uh, you know, going playing ball or going fishing or something like that. But when a daughter comes along, for me, it's like, well, what do you do? I mean, how do you, how do you spend time with them? What, what is it that they like to do? I mean, as a, as a little girl, she could play with dolls and stuff like that. But what I learned very quickly was that you've got to meet them where they are. And with my daughter, she used to love to go to that uh, shop uh, in the mall. It's called Claire's that has all those bangles and beads and stuff like that. And for me, the last thing is I want to go in that store and walk around in there with a bunch of women and their daughters. It seemed really just a weird place to be. But I thought one day, why not? I mean, what would stop me from going in there and be interested in what she's interested in? You know, that kind of stuff. And so I did. And very quickly, I think we formed kind of a bond on me liking the stuff she liked and maybe in her mind being cool. Maybe not. Maybe she just thought I was dad, you know, hanging out, that kind of thing. But I felt like I was in her world. And I remember explaining this to uh, a fellow that I worked with, uh, actually worked for, and and, uh, driving along with him in a car one day. He said to me, so how do you do this with your daughter? And I I talked about the Claire's thing. And he had this weird look on us. He looked over and he goes, are you kidding? I mean, what were you thinking? And I said, well, nothing. I was thinking, meet her halfway, meet her in her ground. And he, he just shook his head like, man, I don't know. I can't do that. There's no way I could do that. And I thought, isn't that sad? I mean, here, if you, want a, if you want a relationship, you want to maintain it for those years, meet them where they are. You know, go to the places they like. Not embarrass them, that kind of thing, but more be interested in what they're interested in at that point in their life. It seemed to make a difference. You know, I, I think riding right on, right on top of that, and, and granted... I already, I already admitted I don't have a teenager, so all I got are the strategies I'm going to go into it with, you know, and hopefully it'll work. Something we, and it, uh, my wife, did a good job of discovering, which is find the places where he already talks, and then shut up and let him talk. Like he, when we were living in Rome, he would, he would get off the bus, and and she didn't have to really say much, and he would get, he would get going, like about about stuff. So if but when I would pick him up off off the bus, we had about a twenty minute walk from the bus stop back to our apartment. Yeah, I would I would screw it up. You know, he would get up, hey buddy, I would start saying something, and and she she was really good. My wife was really good, sort of teaching me like you know, just let him get going, and he'll if he has stuff to say, he'll say it. Then it's a good it's a good place, and she was totally right. And I I think uh, I'll do my best to try to find those places or find those times where where he's just he's gonna go and talk and and i just gotta i just gotta listen and maybe maybe there's there's some real magic in that too because i don't know what those places are he doesn't he doesn't ride the bus we don't have a 20 minute walk home anymore now that we moved back to the u.s so but i gotta i gotta maybe that's the job i gotta do i gotta find the place where he's gonna open up and then i just gotta shut up yeah yeah, it's the waiting is the hardest part. Sometimes I've done this with my kids where I'm just like, okay, this Sunday, you know, you, me, we're we're going hiking, you know, like, and they don't know why. And I just, you know, it's that long walk in the woods and sometimes that works. But, but on the waiting part, even with the girls, I know it's that trusting that, you know, you have this solid relationship that you'll, you'll be there when the time is right and when they need you, they'll come back and, 
yeah, not not to say the the difficult times are the times where they lean on you and say, oh gosh, you know, you know, had a bad breakup with a boyfriend or something like that, and and I'm the one to console them, and that means a lot to me. That tells me that uh, I, I think I did what I needed to do, and I had the effective conversations when I needed to, but also maybe even like what Mike's saying, just being a good listener and knowing when to shut up too. <laughs> like, saying too much could be, you know, just make them feel more awkward than teen years already are, you know. Yeah, I, th- I think that's absolutely right. And I think, Mike, the idea that, that you can listen at that point makes it that much easier for him to expose and talk about the things that are important to him. Uh, you know, I had a, a situation years ago where I kind of, like you, I didn't have to walk to the bus or those kinds of things, but we had a you know grassy backyard with little woods in the back. And my son, we used to play horseshoes when we'd go camping in the summertime. And I said, I want you to dig a horseshoe pit out in the backyard. And we measured it off and he put down the wood and stuff like that. In the evening, when we had a couple hours, we just go out there and we'd throw horseshoes. And you know, when you throw horseshoes, you you face the other side. You both face the du- direction away. Like you're not looking at each other. So it's a natural time to just bring up conversation as you're playing. You're not looking, you're not sitting there like, come on, tell me what's going on with your day. It's more like, you know, you're, you're kind of both looking in the same direction and talking. It's a lot like me to sitting around a fire where I always say if you, if you have a couple hours and you've got a fire pit, whatever, like I make a fire. Good things always happen. Just make the fire and just sit there and see what happens. And I think what happens is everybody gets distracted by the, the flames and the beauty of it and the smell of it and, the, you know, the good feeling. And the next thing, conversation happens. And because you're sitting around the fire and maybe the other person sitting next to you looking at the fire also, it just makes the conversation that much simpler that much easier. And uh, with horseshoes, I, we played for years, and my younger son as well, you know, he'd just stand out in the backyard, throw the horseshoes. And, it, you know, it's not that competitive, really. You do, you do play to win, get points and stuff, but it's more the fun of, uh, you know, a nice throw or, you know, a ringer, that kind of thing, and then and having, and having the conversation. That's the real thing that matters. It seemed to mm-hmm. matter for all those years. We saw the pit out in the backyard, and that was years ago, lots of years ago. I, 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 have, I have the same experience. I, I think of many times of playing uh, horse or pig, you know, basketball with my dad. And, you know, it begins as a game of horse, right? But somewhere around where one of us has the R or the S in the game, you know, something, I don't know, the, you just wind up talking and, you know, yeah. Is that how you got the broken nose, Mike, when your dad? That's right. That's right. I he was he he only had one letter left. I had I wasn't even at H yet, and he threw the ball right at me. Come on, you little pig! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know the the funny thing is that thinking about this, I realized I'm already really bad at the, at the advice that I said you know before about making that space for you know, him to just talk. You could, just today, some he's he's gonna have some friends over, and they're gonna do something for school that's not a project. They just want to do it, and. Uh, and we're standing in the kitchen. And I'm like, "Well, did you did you research what you want to do?" And, and I can see me over there, like you know, giving me the the you know cut off sign, you know, like Mike. And I'm like, "No, I want to make sure that he he knows what's going to." Mike, he's not. You know, they may not even work on it at all. You know, that's just like the framework for what's going to happen. I just I fail to see that stuff. You know, like, well, no, he's going to work on this and it's going to be good. And Mike, no. Yeah. Like, At least they like, don't sell those chemistry sets anymore. They did when I was growing up. Like, hey, look, he's in the basement with sulfuric acid. What's he doing? <laughs> it's, uh, it's a bad thing. 
you know, one of the things for me, you know, you guys both brought up kind of illustrations where you're you're kind of one-on-one, right? One-on-one with your dad playing, you know, basketball or one-on-one playing horseshoes. I think one of the challenges I have, we, we always have rich conversations because I have a bigger family. So with four kids, you know, if we play a board game or something like that, I really feel connected to them. And there's, there's a lot of lively conversation going on and everybody's talking about each person or making jokes and things like that. But it's finding the space for one-on-one time. And, um, and that, that sometimes for me feels like spinning plates because it's like I got well, to run here with this kid or run here with this kid and it's like or they're with their friends. So it's like, it, it, I, you know, for me, I purposely have to find the time where it's like, well, where can you and I do something together that doesn't involve the other siblings? So it gets a little bit more challenging. But uh, and, and, it, and I agree with you. It's, it's finding the right setting, the right time. And and then. I could be in a position where I want to have the conversation, but I can't force the other person to engage. Like I could create the set and the setting and say, okay, well now we're going to have a good conversation. But if, you know, my kid says, just drop me off. I'll see you at 10. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think about that's part of the, the, the mystery or the secret to this whole thing is if you, and I know this for myself too, if I go into it thinking, that I'm going to create the conversation, it rarely happens, mm. or at least it doesn't happen very well. Because my whole plan, my whole effort is focused on getting that person to talk, you know, or having a, a possibility of me talking with them, you know, even that that back and forth. But what I find is that if if my my goal is simpler than that, is like you said before, just play the board game, just you know, have the moment, just sit and and uh, you know, watch TV, or that's kind of a, not a good one necessarily because it's, it's too focused on the television, but around a fire or, or take a walk in the woods, that kind of thing, with no ulterior motive. You know, if you, if you get to the point where every time you take a walk in the woods, the kids know that you're going to, uh-oh, here we go, dad's taking me for a walk in the woods, you know it's going to be counterproductive. Whereas if, you know, some of the times you're just, you're just going for a walk in the woods, it's that simple. I think there's more likelihood that you'll be surprised by the way things happen, the way uh, they'll surprise you, you know, just that they'll get to that point where they're comfortable to talk in their setting, their place, you know, the time is right. And if it's not, like you said, and we've said this a lot before, is that the right conversation at the wrong time becomes the wrong conversation. So it's it's one of those things where, from my experience, the more you can put yourself in the place, as Mike said before, just listen, just be there, the more likely you are to have those great kind of conversations that you want to have. At least that's been my experience. Boy, Joe, I, I mean, you, you said that you said that line and I feel I feel I'm just going to repeat it because it's such a good line. The right conversation at the wrong time is the wrong conversation. Yeah. Yeah, we do that a lot, don't we? I mean, it, you know, I, I just hey, you sit down and say, it's just a couple of things I just want to talk to you about. It's like you can see the eyes roll. You get the huff or whatever. So what's new at school? You know, it goes down for two minutes and, mm-hmm. and you give up. You, you kind of mm-hmm. wave the flag and say, all right, I'm done. You know, and then you you go and moan about it. Like I can't believe it. He never wants to talk to me. He never wants to have the conversation. But he may or she may be in her room saying, you know, I can't believe that. Every time I come in, he's got he drills me for information. He's not really like my friends. They just let me be. They let me have a conversation. They let me be me mm-hmm. in the moment. Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of magical that way. I think. Yeah, you're almost re- reminding me of my dad when he used to ask me like, "What are you doing? Where are you going?" and 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 I could feel the ha- the hair on the back of my neck stand up, and I don't know what it was. It was because it was almost like a cliche thing. I knew he was going to say that, like, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm leaving," and where are you going? You know, I knew that was the response, and it, I, I think it was indicative of the relationship that we have, and um, that's why it probably annoyed me more. But yeah, I, I think 
there's a balance in there. I think with both of you guys are saying, even with Mike, you were saying earlier about acting that role of the parent, like, well, what what are you going to do with the house today? And what's this uh, project about? What can I help you with? It's like, yeah, you don't want to be that guy. You just want to be the normal Mike, Joe, and, and Bob guy. And that's when, you know, so it seems like for me, the answer to this question might be you just, just be yourself and, and go with the flow and trust that you're a good parent and, you know, be observant, you know, don't, you know, you don't not ever want to not have a conversation with your children when, when you need to have a conversation with your teen. But, um, but some of it is trusting the process and that, you know, it, it's kind of like, um, I saw something earlier this week about, you know, the percentage of babies that decided that they they didn't want to walk and never never were able to walk. I mean, they they all come through it, right? If they have two good legs and they have the physical capabilities, they all learn to walk. They don't give up. <laughs> and I think the yeah. same is true with our teens that, you know, if you keep them safe and and uh and you're a good parent, they're they're going to survive the teen years, but it is a scary time. Mm. And something I noticed, Bob, and, and we just said that, and, I, and Mike, I saw you do it too, and I probably do it as well. I don't probably see it as well on myself, but when you, you speak about your parents, your father, whatever, your voice changes and it becomes that, you know, that cliched voice, you know, the one that goes, and tell me where you're going. Or what's, you know, it's, it's funny how that happens. And I think to myself, boy, is that a, an image, you know, like handed down from father to son, father to son. To yeah, we all have it. And it's like, can I just look backwards and go, I'm not doing this. I'm not. I'm not having that voice. I'm not having that conversation. I'm just going to be like you said a minute ago. I'm just going to be me. Yeah. I'm going to stay Bob. I'm not going to become my dad or my grandfather or you know, my mom or whatever like that. I'm just going to be. I'm going to be me. And I think while I'm saying that very simplistically, I don't think it's that easy. I think it is a simple thing, but it's not an easy thing to recognize it and say, how do I stay with my values? How do I stay with where I want to be and and be that caring, loving parent, and and yet raise healthy children, you know, be part of a, their experience in a way that, that they come out of it in a good way. I and mean, it's a great question. I mean, how to do that well. Hmm. Any final thoughts there, Mike? I, I guess like every, like everything important in life, I mean, leading a team at work or raising a teenager or writing music or anything. I mean, it all comes down to, you know, being present, being available, you know, not trying to force something, you know, presence, I guess, it seems to be the, the, the key. Very, not, not, you know, super new age, you know, I don't know what the, what the word is, you know, unrealistic presence, you know, with some magical thing. No, I mean, very real presence. I'm here. I'm going to be here. I'm going to be available. I'm going to listen really well, uh, you know. Not the magical thing, but the real, the real thing, because I, I can't hold on to them, but I'm, but I'm not going to disappear. Mm. Right. Yeah. Bob, if I could just say one more thing, too. I know I kind of capped my, my end before, but uh, something that hit me, too, is that, that phrase, you know, well, you got to lose them for so many years and, you know, they, they're crazy and they'll come around. I think that's all that's all make make believe stuff, too. I think that's a story that has been told for a lot of years. And, and once you believe it, you put yourself in that place and you actually create it. It's the self-fulfilling prophecy. I think if you go into it, uh, you know, if parents go into it with the idea that these are vibrant, you know, caring, wonderful kids in the sense that they're growing through something that you grew through as well. And if you remember those years, I think back to the most exciting years of my life. I mean, if I think back to being a teenager, I and mean, if I could do it right now, snap my fingers and go back, I would. 
I wouldn't want to be there forever, but I would definitely go back to those days. Those were exciting days. Why not be part of that? Why not you know, be a, a, a real integral part of that, their life at that moment? And I, I think it starts with saying, I'm not losing them. I'm not giving them up. I'm not going to turn my back and hope their friends raise them well or something like that for six, seven, eight years. I'm going to stay with it. And I'm going to do the things necessary. I'm going to you know, be present. As, as Mike said a minute ago, I'm going to participate in activities they love. I'm going to do the things that, that connect me more, even more deeply than I was connected when they were children. Because they're thinking better now. They're smarter now. They've got more problems. It's like, it's a great place to be. I'd say don't give it up. All right, great, guys. I'm not going to give it up. I, I feel a little bit more equipped now. I feel a little bit more self-assured. And uh, I'm looking forward to the rest of the day, Sunday here with my teens. And um, wondering where all our listeners are at, you know, um, where are you at with the question? Uh, one thing that rolls through my mind right now is we're, we're three guys, so we're talking from the dad perspective, but I'd be curious what some of the moms out there think that might have teens. So uh, check us out at obviousquestion.wordpress.com. You know, you can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud. What we'd really like is for you to engage with us. You know, drop us a review on iTunes if you can. Let us know what your obvious question is and um, subscribe to the show. And uh, we look forward to uh, hearing from you and what your feedback is. Thanks very much.